This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Friday, September 8th of 2017, it's episode 117. In this episode, Adam Gottfried joins us to discuss planning Fear the Con 11 and other cons, plus obscure media we'd like to turn into games, the legend of Willie's chess set, the Archbishop of Jerusalem and Jerusalem Syndrome, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. I'm Adam. And we have one Adam Gottfried, who's uh, really kind of a longtime friend of ours, if you think about it, although I don't think we've ever Mm -hmm. mentioned him on the show. Shame on us. Well, that's perfectly okay, but we've known each other now for, God, since Fear the Con 4? Yes. Something to that effect? Jenny, for sure, I met at Fear the Con 4. Yeah, I was 16. So that was a bunch of years ago. Yeah, wait, wait, you feel old. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, she does that oh, to us every time. Oh, she always makes all of us feel old constantly. Are you every kidding? Every time. It's it's the worst. And then, of course, I met you at Fear the Con 5, which was also awesome. Indeed. And Chrissy, by the way, my wife still remembers the game you ran for. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad she had a good time, and I'm glad she was able to play, too. Excellent time. If I remember correctly, that was the Marvel RPG, right? Sure. I think it was, because she- I, It was uh, she, a long time ago. I do not remember. I think that was it because she made me buy it after you ran it. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait, wasn't Chrissy in the Innocence game? Yes, that's what it was. It was the Innocence game. That that rings a little bit more true because I I have run some Marvel before, but I'm not sure if I've ever run it at Fear the Con. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was in the first Innocence game and I think Chrissy was in the second one. That's what it was. Yes, we have not picked up Innocence, but we (laughs) she keeps talking about it and keeps thinking, I'd like to run that. It would be difficult to find right now, considering that White Wolf is no longer its original entity. It's something else entirely, which I'm not really sure I like where they're going, but that is a different discussion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think the only time I've ever actually gamed with you is play-by-post in the Fear the Boot forums. Correct. That's But that was a really good game for play-by-post, and I'm very (laughs) sad it ended. All right. Well, I tell you what, rather than just reminisce on the mics, we should probably let Adam introduce himself. Adam, take it away. Well, uh, my name is Adam Gottfried. I am a, uh, a kind of a late bloomer when it comes to gaming, but I am kind of a veteran of various podcasts and conventions and the like. You will have heard my name mentioned uh, around Fear the Boot quite a bit. I was on Kicked in the Dice Bags for uh, a hot minute, and then I splintered off and did my own podcast for a long while called The Side Project Podcast, which recently has uh, has kind of gone by the wayside my, uh, my cohort and I uh, decided that we had other projects we needed to do that revolved more around doing things like having a home and having children and that sort of thing. Understandable. But recently, I have taken up the reins, the last three years, I've taken up the reins of uh, running and putting on and planning for the Fear the Con convention, which uh, I'm not doing it alone by any stretch. If I if I did not have one Mr. Bob Ahrens and Mr. Derek Knudsen, I never would have gotten any of this stuff done. I'm a great ideas person, but they're way better at implementing ideas than I am. Mm. Yeah, they're both awesome people. They are. Yeah. They're amazing people. They're great guys. They're fun to game with. If you've never been in a Bob Ahrens game, one, prepare for... NC-17 content and to be prepared for the most terrifying ride you will ever taken in your life. And I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe Grant and I were actually in the same room as one of Bob Arnes's games at A Fear the Con. Yes. And just overhearing it was was something. It was definitely something. Well, I had the great um, pleasure to play in Bob's paranoia game that he ran with a chatbot as the uh, friend computer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, he did um, and, and this, I think, says something about Bob. First of all, he works with artificial intelligences. Like, that's his day job. Very intelligent guy. He's, he's probably the smartest person I know in real life. Yeah. He, uh, second, he programmed it with the contents of the TimeCube website and all the dialogue from Portal. Uh, that was the seed data for his little chatbot AI that he used for this. And third, there was a problem when he printed off the character sheets for whatever reason. Everything on this paranoia character sheet that I had and that Pat Roper had was shifted up one character in the character set it was printed in, right? So like the capital A became capital B. Uh, (laughs) Capital Z became lowercase a. One became two. And so my character, who was supposed to be named Brian, but was instead named Sisbo. Um, 
that was the couch gene. And, and I pointed this out to him before we started the game. He looked at it and said, yep, yeah, welcome to Paranoia. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> now, the great part about this is that this also increased all the stats. Oh, my. And his, his response was, if you can decode it, you can keep it. <laughs> Sounds like Bob. And yeah, this is the kind yeah. of person running Fear the Con. <laughs> yeah, so that was my experience with Paranoia. Half of my time was this struggle to decode my character sheet while role-playing. One, one more quick Bob Arns anecdote. If you've ever heard the song by Mikey Mason, Scooby Thulu, that was a Bob Arns game. Yes, that was the one that uh, Jenny and I sat next to. Ah, yes. That yeah. must be <laughs> At any rate, that's kind of my, my, my cred, as it were. Okay, great. I'm delighted to have you on, honestly. Obviously, it's good to just like hang out and talk with you, Adam, because it's been too long, yeah. frankly. It has. And since we only get to do it once a year, and then this last year, I was so crazy busy with, with all the stuff that was going on with Fear the Con, I really didn't have as much opportunity to, to talk to people that I normally do. Grant, were you even there yeah. this last year? I don't even remember. I was not because okay. I had a very young child. That's fair. But I know yeah. Peter and Jenny were there, and I know that I did yes. not get much of a chance to chat with Peter a little bit, but not much. Yeah, pretty much while I was playing Magic in that con suite room, but that was about the extent of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, mm -hmm. I know I got a chance to ch chat with Jenny, but again, not nearly as much as I would have liked to. Yep. And that's yeah. something I think we're going to talk about how much effort it takes to run a con and if you want to play at the convention you probably shouldn't run the con accurate that is that is a true <laughs> statement right there yeah all right adam we usually let people who come on our show have a chance to plug something and i know you've got something cool to plug and we're excited about it take it away well the long and the short of it is is that fear the con 11 is going to happen and it's going to happen with myself and bob and Derek newtson running it again and this is pretty much going to be it for you guys. You guys are going to be the world premiere. I'm going to announce the dates on your show. Woohoo! <gasps> nice. Yeah. So the dates for the 2018 Fear the Con 11 are going to be June 22nd and 23rd of 2018. June 22nd to 23rd. Correct. All right. Expedia.ca. <laughs> start working on uh, booking travel. I'm putting them in the show notes. Everyone else is booking tickets, and that explains the relationship between hosts on the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, no, that's awesome. I appreciate that. By the way, we haven't mentioned Derek. Derek Knudsen was a guest on our show previously. Oh. It was, I want to say, episode 62, somewhere in the 60s. I will put a link to it in the show notes. It's when he was talking about Fear of the Charity. Oh, yes. Uh, and that will that happened this last year and it will be happening again. He's got big plans for the charity this next year. He's already kind of put some things in motion. We were only really kind of ramped up and we had our first uh, actual official meeting, me and the other two organizers. And then we're, we're adding more people uh, as we decided that running it with three, given how big it was this last year, which we'll, we can get more into that later. But given how big it was this last year. We decided we needed more people, so we're adding more people. So Beth Roper, Pat Roper's wife, has stepped up, and she's going to help us his plan. Pat himself is actually currently recovering, and it's a very slow process from his his cancer uh, surgery. So that's very exciting. I also want to say that there there is a Kickstarter. It's uh, it'll be a much shorter one than it was last time. It is going to be happening sometime end of October. Uh, I have specific dates, but I think I'm just going to tease it for right now. Look for a Kickstarter starting the end of October going into November. Hosts take this information down privately, too. Yeah. <laughs> privately, in the show notes, something yeah. like that, right? Not mutually exclusive. <laughs> awesome. Well, Adam, thank you. And we're going to talk a lot about Fear the Con 2018, I'm sure, as we talk about some of the planning stuff you've done, as well as talking about Fear the Con 17. Is the name officially Fear the Con 2018 or Fear the Con 11? We're still kind of kicking around ideas. The The tradition with cons that I have noticed is that once you get past 10, you stop numbering them. But it has been kind of a staple of Fear the Con to have the number as part of the tagline. So yeah. we're, we're still kicking around ideas. We do have one tagline, which I'm not going to say that we really like. We haven't officially decided on it yet. But we have one tagline that we really, really like that does pertain to the number 11. So more to come as, as things develop. Like I said, we've only had one initial meeting, and that was really about talking about when to do the Kickstarter, how to do the Kickstarter, what horrible things we should offer people if they <laughs> donate to us, that sort of thing. See, what's running through my head is the old uh, what about 11sies from Lord of the Rings. So what's <laughs> <laughs> second breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, second breakfast, a mainstay of Fear the God. <laughs> exactly. 
food is kind of a big deal. And that's one of the great things about Fear the Con is they they take the food seriously. Mm-hmm. We're gamers and we're hungry. And particularly now with me and Bob in particular running this thing, we're both big dudes and we like food. <laughs> we take it seriously. Yep. All right, Adam, I'm looking forward to it. This sounds great. Does anyone have any other news and notes? I actually don't for once. Brief ones. So... We are recording this on September 8th, just for time scale here. I uh, stretched out the Labor Day weekend by a couple of extra days using up the last of my paid vacation time for this year, and I have already completed a playthrough of XCOM 2 War of the Chosen. It is quite good. It does add some length to the campaign. I could probably wax eloquent about this for a long time, but I'm not going to, but it is quite good and it is worth picking up. Fair enough. That sounds like something we will we will probably be referring to a few times here and there over the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more influence, I suppose, for future gaming stuff. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I know you and I have been going nuts over magic spoilers, but that's we oh, all yeah. like we do that every three months. So who cares? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's just the rhythm of our lives. Yeah, so. I don't even play. I just like seeing them because it's like I could play if I sold the kids i mean <laughs> there's no other way to do it like that money python thing off to medical experiments for the lot of you pretty much no there, there is no actual way for me to do it but a man can dream and stare at spoilers enviously and watch lots of uh pro tour coverage i know you do that too ah uh, not as much not as much anymore but it's you have fun. in the past at least so yeah actually one thing i am kind of considering getting is starcraft remastered okay yes this is a remastered release of the original StarCraft plus Brood War. It's like 15 bucks. It's pretty. Uh, it looks good, and it's sparked a huge resurgence in Brood War play that was already kind of beating out StarCraft 2 in terms of the competitive scene. So I'm kind of interested in that, not at the competitive level, but just like I never beat StarCraft because I was so bad at StarCraft. Yes. <laughs> I was awful. I kind of want to go back through it and see if I can beat it without cheat codes because I was cheating my way through it. And then I think I got stuck and like couldn't beat it with cheat codes. That's how bad I was. So, yeah, Mm. Um, I was like, I give myself more minerals. Ah, they killed me again. You know, it's it was bad. So I'm considering that it looks cool. Anyway, anybody else got anything? Actually, yeah, I've got a thing I'm really excited for. So, um. The Archbishop of Jerusalem is coming to my church in October, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, you said that sounds really cool. Yeah, um, he's actually doing it for confirmations, which haven't been done in our church for a long time, because for whatever reason, the bishop refused to do them anywhere but in like Ottawa, which is a super long drive for most people. And it was just a huge hassle. And like part of the point of confirmation is like you're supposed to do it in front of your church family because these are the people who are supposed to be continually lifting you up and supporting you. Yeah. And just to do it away from your church family is so weird, but we get to do confirmation in our church again, and the Archbishop of Jerusalem is going to be there. That's Um, great. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I believe our sister church is in Jerusalem, so I think that's the connection there. Well, that's doubly awesome. That's that's (laughs) really cool. Yes, and apparently, yeah, he's going to be talking about some pretty cool stuff, and I'm really, really excited about that. That's fantastic. There's an article going out in our next weekend reading that you may find interesting. It's on Jerusalem Syndrome. Do you guys know about Jerusalem Syndrome? Yes. Is this anything like Paris Syndrome? Yes, actually, it is. In that case. All right, I'm clueless, so enlighten me. Okay, I'm (laughs) going to pull up the article here just to make sure I get this right because, oh man, it's super weird. Yeah, so Jerusalem Syndrome is this weird mental disorder. It's kind of recognized, kind of not. There are a few other places that do this, and they are very cultural, namely other cultures come to a particular place and have particular kinds of psychotic breaks in that place. So Paris Syndrome is a psychotic break that occurs mainly in Japanese tourists to Paris. Weird. Okay. Jerusalem Mm -hmm. Syndrome is shockingly specific, and about 100 people a year get this. First, the person who is visiting Jerusalem gets nervous and agitated and wants to leave the tour group and explore the city alone. Tour guides in Jerusalem are actually familiar enough with the syndrome, and I'm kind of reading here from a Christ and Pop Culture article on this, that many tour guides will recognize this and try and stop the person from wandering off on their own 
So then, once they escape the tour group, they wander alone for a while, become obsessed with cleanliness, start bathing compulsively, cutting their fingernails, and then, very specifically, steal a white hotel bedsheet to make a toga. Wow! What? Well, (laughs) you get white for purity, right? And, of course, togas are more Roman than ancient Israelite, but we're not talking about people obsessed with historical accuracy here. Correct. No. So they're garbed in nice, fresh white. They're super clean. And then they start wandering and shouting Bible verses at random passersby. If they don't know Bible verses, they'll shout anything else that is seeming reasonably biblical. Yeah. Hymns, striper lyrics, whatever. (laughs) By this time, they have usually developed some sort of delusion that they are a biblical figure. Okay. Apparently, Jesus and the Virgin Mary are the most common, but it can be almost any character from Scripture. And then they'll proceed to some holy place where they will deliver a sermon, usually about the need to denounce earthly possessions and live a more spiritual life. These rarely make sense, but what are you going to do? The peaceful sermon scenario is apparently the best case scenario because sometimes people act out like one guy who tried to break into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, believing himself, and I'm quoting here, predestined to fight an epic battle with Satan inside its walls. Oh, no. Yes. About 40 of the 100 cases every year require hospitalization because occasionally two people with the same delusion encounter one another and the results are ugly. Oh, wow. Interestingly, this seems to only happen with Jews and Protestant Christians, never Muslims, never Catholics. Never Catholics is interesting to me. I'm wondering if there's some sort of like similar Vatican syndrome for Catholic individuals. Maybe. The theory in this in this article, which I do kind of like, is that Protestant Christians are not as well informed about church history as most most others, historically Mm. speaking. Like we talk about life in Jerusalem up to about the end of Acts and then we're done. Oh, Okay. Okay. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, this is a modern city. What happened? Mm. Time. Yeah, there's this weird (laughs) break between the Jerusalem I was expecting to visit and, oh, this modern city where, like, people go to work every day. And so, yeah, there's this weird uh, disconnect there. So, yes, Jerusalem syndrome. It's a real thing and absolutely crazy. I'm uh, I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia page on Jerusalem Syndrome, and they list a couple of things that I'm actually familiar with now that I've refreshed my memory. There was an X-Files episode that revolved around Jerusalem Syndrome. They dealt with it a little bit on The Simpsons in an episode where The Simpsons visits Israel. And the more recent one, and the one that I'm most familiar with, is that in his recent book, Trigger Warning, Neil Gaiman has a short story about Jerusalem Syndrome in the book. And uh, I recall the story and remember it being very, very interesting and then looking at the phenomenon myself and going, wow, this is really a thing. So... Wait, wait. Neil Gaiman wrote an interesting story? The next (gasps) thing you're going to tell me is the atmosphere is mostly nitrogen. I just can't (laughs) believe this. Crazy talk, I know. I know. Yeah, so it's a cool thing, but I'm I'm super excited that you're getting the Bishop of Jerusalem to visit. Archbishop. Excuse me. Which is above Bishop. Which is way cooler. Really cool. I always thought that it was um, more just an honorific designation. No, it's an entirely different prestige class. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. The Archbishop is in charge of all the other bishops. Ah, okay. I believe the person in charge of all of the Anglican Church is the primate. And I'm trying to remember who that is. And I want to say Desmond Tutu. And I'm probably going to be wrong. That's Um, okay. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, I stand corrected. Any other news or anything like that? I got nothing. Nada. All right. Well, let's let's do move on then. Before we move on to our Patreon question and our scripture, I do want to remind everyone, if you like the show, uh, obviously you have our Patreon that you can support us with. But more than that, take a moment if you like us and share us around on Facebook and Twitter and any other social media. Tell a friend about us. Share our episodes around if there's one you really like. And of course, review us on iTunes, Podchaser and Google Play. Rate and review us. That helps us a ton. I've personally checked out Podchaser, and I say this as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts. It's a very, very user-friendly format in which to listen to podcasts, and you can rate and review individual episodes as well. Yeah. So that'll help us as well. I do like that a lot. Yes. So as a guest of the show, I'm going to clarify something. Rate them kindly. If you have not, not nice <laughs> things to say, just just move along. Well, I, an honest <laughs> review that's got useful feedback, I'm entirely happy with. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've actually taken a couple of, I think, like four star reviews where people were like, oh, you know, I mostly like this, but I have this criticism. And 
we've kind of sat down and looked at each other and been like, you know, the guy's got kind of a good point. Let's do this and this in response to that. Yeah. So some good, honest feedback is very valuable sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Let's tackle our Patreon question, shall we? Okay. This one is from Jim Nambad, longtime listener of the show and longtime Patreon supporter. General friend of the show. Yeah. yeah. What movies or TV shows or video games make you think, oh, man, I want to play this in an RPG? Uh, and he mentions that uh, Jericho and Red Dawn uh, make him want to play Twilight 2000. Every time he plays Overwatch, it's, you know, these would make great champions characters, etc. Which is, you know, a good question. I think we've answered this in a, a couple of different forms. Mm-hmm. We had a similar one last week uh, or last right. episode. Yeah, talking about with, cartoons. Um, but that was specifically 80s and 90s cartoons. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to pick, let's, let's just pick one thing that we have not talked about much yet on the show, each of us, and then go through that. And of course, Adam, you're welcome to join us as well. Of course. But I will start with mine, which is one that I think is very obscure and one that people may not have heard of, although I may have mentioned it once or twice. And that is Bahamut Lagoon. This is a little tactical combat game for the Super Nintendo, or actually the Super Famicom, because it was never released in the United States. It was only Japanese. Hmm. Uh, I played a fan translation on an emulator in college and fell in love. It's a Squaresoft game, beautiful art, right? This is end of the Super Nintendo era when they'd figured out how to really maximize what that system could do in terms of art. And it had this really cool story going on where it was an infinite world of nothing but sky and chunks of land floating in it. And cool. you were this kind of this stereotypical fantasy kingdom, except you were grouped up in squads fighting on Dragonback. So your characters, magical powers and abilities all came from whichever dragon they were assigned to. And there was a whole system for evolving your dragons by feeding them stuff that you found during the game. And every character was unique. And there were a few that you could recruit along the way. So, you know, it's it's very JRPG-ish in a lot of ways, you know, with all the, the pitfalls of that genre. But the music was really good. The art was really good. The setting was very striking. Your, your base, as it were, is an island that has been converted into a ship that you're flying around. And you're launching out of it like a group of fighters from a carrier on Dragonback. And then the gameplay was pretty good because each unit was really two units. You had your squad of people who you controlled, and then the dragon associated to them who moved on their own and acted independently. Oh, that's really cool. It was this very interesting combat system, and I like the idea of a connection between what I can do and what my buddy the dragon can do. I've been working on a system actually to play this. It's not taking shape exactly the way I want to, to the point where I've trimmed <laughs> it back and just focused on like one-on-one -on -one role playing. But one day I hope to get something like that out there that, that will support it. Your it's um, super description cool. reminds me of Naomi Novik's Temeraire novels. Yes. In some ways. I have not read those, but I need to by the sound. Yeah. Yes, you definitely do. Grant, um, out of curiosity, not to not to quash any, any game design dreams that you may have, but I'm curious, have you ever taken a look at Derek Newton's USS system? No, I haven't. It's super versatile. I would take a look at it. And even if you want to just blatantly rip it off and use it for the system, and it sounds like what you're talking about might be what it can do. So I would get in contact with Derek and see if you can, because I think he's only charging like 10, 15 bucks for it hmm. uh, for a PDF. So I would contact him and see if either A, he can give you a copy for the 10, 15 bucks or B, you know, play the, hey, we're nice people card and get it for free. Okay. Yeah, I'll take a look. That sounds great. All right. Who wants to go next? I'm going to go with the Leviathan series by Scott Westerfeld, which was about the First World War, but the war was more about the ethics of genetic manipulation on the part of the British Empire and the countries immediately surrounding it in, in Europe in order to make essentially war machines genetically as opposed to you know, mechs and mega tanks, as you know, is right and good uh, in the eyes of God. <laughs> interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a really interesting steampunk versus like genetics punk kind of thing. And if anybody has a really good RPG system that does steampunk, send it my way. Because, wow, I really, really, really want to run something where whales are blimps. Such a cool series. I believe the term you're referring to with the genetics is gene punk. 
gene punk. I think okay. that's actually a thing. Yeah, and I'm okay. pretty sure the term for whales as blimps is any game Grant wants to play now. <laughs> <laughs> or any series that Grant wants to read now. Um, yeah, that too. They're generally found in young adult fiction. I started reading them in high school. There's only three books. It's a finished series, yep. and it's very, very good. And there was actually um, a picture of the map of the world uh, that was going around uncredited for a long time on Tumblr and Facebook and Reddit and all sorts of places. And basically, Russia is depicted as this gigantic bear. And I think I I do think France was a frog, if I recall correctly, which is uh... you should find this on uh, on Google image search or something and have him have Grant put it in the show notes because it's a cool picture. It, it's a very cool picture. Yep, definitely put it in there. All right, who else? Well, real quick, for those people who are going, why would you why would you redo the uh, World War 1 that way? Historically speaking, it is actually pretty accurate. Like the events that happen in the story actually happened in history. They just didn't involve yeah. mechs and giant genetically engineered creatures and all of that stuff. Like what happens in the story, the reason why the war starts is the same reasons why the war, you know, War started in reality. Yeah. Like, Obligations and lack of rapid communication and transit technology. Well, it's specifically, it starts with the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, that's how it starts. Yeah, cool. Yeah, World War One is probably the most criminally underutilized gaming setting ever. But that's mm -hmm. that's a whole conversation on its own. Boy, I've got so many. I, I would say probably the entire plane of Tarkir for Magic: The Gathering would be a fantastic role playing setting. The uh, digital board game Armello would be really cool, but I think the one I'm going to focus on is a little bit of a deeper cut. Have any of you guys ever played the old first-person shooter Brink? Yep. No. No. Okay. So Brink is a, a very interesting game. It's, it's a weird kind of post-apocalyptic. You're out on this floating city, basically, kind of an artificial island out in the ocean someplace. And as far as anybody on it is certain of, at least, it's the only safe place left on Earth. There are two factions. There's one that um, wants to keep the Ark safe and everybody on it there. And there's another group of rebels that wants to try and make contact with the outside world. One of the things that they did exceptionally well in this game is that neither one of these factions are the clear-cut good guys or bad guys. The developers went to significant lengths to make those two factions both sympathetic and both morally equivalent to each other. And that would make for a very fascinating role-playing game. Yeah. That one's going to be my poll. Okay, cool. Adam? I'm uh, I'm sitting here considering, and there's, uh, as, like Peter said, there's so much stuff that you can pull from that would make great role-playing, great make for great role-playing. You know, like the uh, Valerian and the the City of a Thousand Planets, like the, the, the movie, the acting wasn't all that great, but it was, the, and the plot wasn't great either, but the, the visuals were just amazing. And I sat there thinking, God, I would love to play in a, in a system like that. So that's a great one, but... Yep. And you know that's based on an old series of European comics, right? Yes, yes. Uh, which I've mm -hmm. actually, I actually read long before the movie ever was a thing. My uh, my French teacher actually had copies of Valerian in French class, and we could peruse the comics, and it was interesting. But that's, oh, that's neither cool. here nor there. I would also love to see a setting with Ducktales as the. Uh, I'm sure you guys have covered <laughs> that a little bit, but uh, as Ducktales is the setting, because having now seen the first episode of Ducktales retold or whatever. I'm really excited for it. That's going to be awesome. But ultimately, I think what I'm going to settle on is actually pulling from books, uh, as Jenny did. The Dark Tower series by Stephen King, I absolutely adored. And I know that's not a popular choice, and I want people to kind of divorce themselves from the idea that the movie has anything to do with the books because it doesn't. <laughs> Don't get I have not read those yet, but... I haven't looked at any reviews of the movie or listened to, say, Movie Master or anything like that, you know, talking about the movie, because it is on my list of things I want to read at some point. The movie, if it were called anything other than Dark Tower and had any other association other than Dark Tower, would have been a decent movie. Okay. Unfortunately, because they did try to, to lump it with that particular franchise, it failed miserably in what they were trying to do. The Fair series enough. itself covers so much of not just Stephen King's significant body of work, but they also cover a lot of various literature that exists. They covered a bunch of Richard Adams stuff. They cover a bunch of, at one point, they literally wander through Lang. I mean, it's insane. And they wander through like the world of the little engine that could. 
I'm dead huh. serious. It's so rich with all this this stuff that Stephen King himself has kind of accrued, you know, through his own vast reading library. I mean, even to the point where, and, you know, lots of authors do this in a metaphorical sense. He did this in a uh, in, an, in a literal sense. He, he wrote himself into the story. And normally when authors do that, I'm like, well, that's kind of a pompous and terrible thing to do. But he did it in such a way where it was not he didn't actually paint himself in a very good light when he did it. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I'm not spoiling really anything for anybody that hasn't hasn't read the story. I'm just kind of saying various elements that he took and added it to it. But there is there is at some point or another a reference to almost every other work that he's ever done within the story, even to the point where some characters appear from other stories that he's written. So it's kind of part of that great conversation, basically. Exactly. So for me, taking that and making it into a role-playing scenario, role-playing world, you know, you could draw from the, again, significant body of work that, that Stephen King has in his backlog. And if you're a Stephen King fan, that would be, you know, I mean, it would kind of be a, a tour to realms a little bit, but it would still be a great deal of fun. Neat. All right. Good choice. And uh, Jim, good question. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you want to ask a question of us, patreon.com slash saving the game helps us out. The show is funded entirely by listeners like you, and we appreciate that. Let's move on to our main topic here by way of our scripture. This is Proverbs 11 verses 5 to 6. The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. So this is from Hebrews 10, and it's verses 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 16. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So, Adam, obviously we're bringing you on because you are one of the primary planners for Fear the Con. At yep. least uh, last Fear the Con and the forthcoming one. And previously you had a, a pretty large hand in planning DrewCon. Yep. Which was the interstitial, we didn't have a Fear of the Con 9 convention. <laughs> Indeed. We're delighted to have you on. I'm delighted yes. to be here. I'd like to hear, first of all, what made you sit down and think, I need to plan a convention, not just go to one. Okay, actually, before we even get to that, because the curiosity is killing me. Shoot. <laughs> Why us and not Fear the Boot or Kicked in the Dice Bags or one of the many other podcasts that you're associated with for this particular topic? We've had this on our list for ages, and, you know, we love talking to you, obviously, but I'm just curious, why us? There was a number of reasons why I, I mean, I initially approached Jenny with it, and she, I know she came to you guys. The biggest reason is Fear the Boot is a great podcast, and it's been, it's, at this point, it is the longest-running RPG podcast out there, but they have talked ad nauseum about con planning, and Fear the Con in particular, and all of that stuff, and I feel like their audience... While varied and definitely I, I imagine you have some some bleed over with with your podcast, their audience is very likely sick of hearing. <laughs> For me, your audience is a bit different than the than the usual audience that I, I tend to pull, which is not to say that it, this is a bad thing at all, because it's not. It's just it, to me, this is this is getting to a larger audience that we have not in the past really been able to communicate with. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfectly. Yes. I just I was just a little curious because we are kind of small. So, well, I'm not exactly I'm not exactly a big fish in a big pond. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> I, I am a known quantity here and there, but that's not always a good thing. Fair enough. Well, I do appreciate you coming to us with it and, 
you know, as soon as you we heard about the topic from Jenner, we we're like, oh, wait, a chance to talk to Adam and hear about con planning. Yeah, it's like, well, we can John cross this one John. off the list that's been on here for years. So yeah, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was one of the first things we put on our topic list. Yeah. And it's telling that we haven't gotten to it until now. So, yeah, <laughs> it's like you and I don't know the first thing about this. And Adam does. So let's let him talk. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So, yeah. What got you into this? That's a really good question. What it comes down to is that I've always been a planner. That's that's just kind of in my nature. When we do games, even if I'm not the GM, I am often the one planning and pushing for the next game. As we get older, I've noticed that the tendency to have a regular like Friday night game goes away because as your children in particular start to age, they start getting involved in activities that are not gaming. And even if they are gaming, they're not necessarily the games that you're in. And so your Fridays become eaten up with other responsibilities and obligations and privileges in a lot of in a lot of cases. Like I spend a lot of time with my kids and going to their schools and volunteering and all of that stuff. But I have always been the person that has been the planner. I've always been the person that said, hey, we're going to do this game and we're going to do this game on this day. Does that work for everybody? And so it was kind of a a natural progression for me to start getting to a point where I wanted to do more than just plan schedules. I wanted to do larger events. And I started having ideas for things that would only work in a con setting. So years ago, I started putting together when I was worth uh, kicking the dice bags, I started putting together a little miniature tabletop convention that was literally just getting together with a bunch of people at our, our friendly local uh, gaming shop. And I called it Microconsum, which was a terrible pun, and I, I am ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, when Fear the Boot announced that they were going to take a hiatus and having gotten to know some of the hosts and heard a lot of the ins and outs of the planning and kind of what had gone on in years past when they announced that they weren't going to do it. I said, you know, if they do this, they're going to lose a great deal of momentum with the con goers, the people who traditionally went to fear the con. And that's not really something that I'm comfortable with because this fear the con for me, like I love going to cons. I really enjoy it. You know, I go to Gen Con every year. We have a local con up here that I go to every year. There's a few other cons that I've, I've gone to regularly, regularly. I can speak English. I promise. The point is, I decided that it was something that that needed to happen, that there needed to be some kind of placeholder for Fear the Con in lieu of the hosts actually planning it. So at Fear the Con 8, which was the last one planned by the Fear the Boot hosts, I sat down with Derek Knudsen and actually Keith Bird from uh, originally from Kicked in the Dice Bags, and we had a conversation. And ultimately, that conversation led to us, including Bob Arns, whom I had been getting to know specifically at that con. Like he and I got to know each other a little bit at Fear the Con 7, but he and I really kind of bonded at Fear the Con 8. And so we included Bob Arns and he eventually wound up moving to Minnesota, not because of me, but because that's his his family's from here. Uh, It just happened that I live here, too. So we um, gotten to be really good friends since that point. But ultimately, what it, what it came down to is the three of us decided that we needed to do something in place of, of Fear the Con. And we did DrewCon as a placeholder to Fear the Con. And it was really for us a proof of concept. Can we do this? Can three guys who don't live anywhere near St. Louis plan a convention that's happening in St. Louis? As it turns out, the answer is yes. So <laughs> it, seems, it seems like the answer is yes. So uh, one thing that we should probably clarify for our listeners, why is it called DrewCon or was it called DrewCon? It was called DrewCon because it took place at the Drury Hotel and Suites in St. Louis, which it's uh, the Drury is, I believe they're a St. Louis based company. Okay, yeah, I know we have them here, actually, where I live. Yes, yes. But they're I believe they were actually they started in St. Louis. They've spread out significantly across the southern area. We don't have them in Minnesota at all. I don't believe we have them in Illinois either. More's the pity, really. They're a very nice hotel chain. I yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why when we started after DrewCon, we decided to stick with the Drury Inn and Suites for Fear the Con 10 was because Fear the Boot has been using Drury's to house people for the con since Fear the Con five it was five five was the first year in the drawer. Yep. 
And the staff was always amazing. The accommodate, I mean, they accommodated the bejesus out of us. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like they gave us spare rooms that weren't being used specifically for the purpose of gaming. Right. Like they were like, hey, we don't have this meeting room booked out for anything. Use it, please. They were super, super nice about it. Okay. As long as we're plugging Drury, I have to tell this one. Are you guys familiar with the tale of Willie Gross's missing chess set? (laughs) No. I am, but go ahead and tell it. Okay. So one of my friends that I usually only see at Fear the Con is a guy by the name of Willie Gross. He lives all the way up in the Seattle area. So he is not convenient to the St. Louis area by any stretch of the imagination. No. So one year he had a like one of those portable traveling chess sets, you know, in a zippered case, and he accidentally left it at the Drury. Imagine his surprise when the next year he went to check in and they handed him his chess set back at the front desk. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Wow. That's really awesome. I know I worked in a hotel. That would not have happened at our hotel. I know that for a fact. That's amazing. It would have been stolen immediately. Immediately. Probably by me. Not going to (laughs) lie. Because something gets left. You just know that nobody's going to come back for it. You wow. know, I, I happen to have some very nice scented candles <laughs> because of that. Because. OK. Yeah. And this has been our that. confessions segment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shame, shameful hotel employee confessions with Jenny. <laughs> yep. There, there was a really nice package of pasta that I got, too. Yeah. The oh. more, you know, <laughs> the more, you know, the more inside jokes we have fuel for later. OK. Indeed. Indeed. Yep. Well, wow. so ultimately what came of this is so we did DrewCon and it was a proof of concept. We wanted to see that if three guys who didn't live there could do a con that was there and it worked out. It wasn't a huge con. It wasn't a super well attended con. We had about 50 people show up. But here's the thing. They were 50 people from all over the place. It wasn't just 50 locals that showed up like Jenny and her family showed up. Mm-hmm. We had some people from we had the whole Indianapolis crew. We had some folks from like Tennessee. We had some folks from Texas. We had some folks from uh, there was one group of guys that came from Colorado. We had a, a pretty decent turnout in terms of where people were from. It wasn't just 50 locals. So after we sat down and we, you know, at first we were a little disheartened that not more people showed up, but we sat down and we calculated in the fact that a lot of people came from all over the place. And we said, you know, people are dedicated to this con. Let's see what happens if we do Fear the Con 10. And so we asked permission from Fear the Boot to call the next one Fear the Con. And Dan Reperger was more than happy to allow us to do that. And the planning process went and we did the Kickstarter and we nailed the Kickstarter and more and more things were pointing to this being a very successful con. Although I was reserving judgment until the actual day of because anything can happen. And ultimately, we had more people show up at Fear the Con 10 than had ever shown up at any Fear the Con previously. And part of that was because you got a bunch of the first timers from DrewCon back, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. We had a bunch of people who had never been to Fear the Con or anything like that who came to DrewCon, and we just tapped that resource and said, look, tell your friends who've never heard of heard of or been to a Fear the Con before, we're doing this thing. It's the same people, just a different name. And sure enough, they all showed up. So I just heard three critical things, I think, in that one sentence. We're doing a thing. Tell your friends. So there's promotion involved. Yep. There's the people involved running it, and there's the venue where you're having it. Yep. Those are like three of the four things that I wrote down as things that I'm pretty sure are required for a convention, right? <laughs> people to run it, a place to have it, and ways to get word out about it. Last thing yep. being what you're actually doing at the con. Yeah, and that, that gets quite complicated. But the point is, is that in order to run a con, you need those, you need those things. You need the people, place, and then the third thing that you mentioned that I can't for the life of me remember what it was. Well, people to run it. People to run it, right. And of course, content, what you're actually doing. So four total. Yeah. And then this year we had more people than we've ever had before. So this coming year, we're very much looking forward to more of the same. We we want to grow this con as much as we can. We're going to lean into the fact that Fear the Con is kind of a niche con. It's not like, well, we're Paizo Con. It's not, we're Gen Con. It's no, we, we, we show up and we play a whole bunch of indie games. And that's what happens. With occasional forays into more mainstream stuff. Right. So you're actually focusing on the indie aspect this time around. 
I I don't know if we're going to necessarily make that a huge talking point, but we're just going to kind of lean into it. Like we're not going to we're not going to sit there and we're not going to contact like the local Pathfinder Society and say, hey, run a bunch of events here. You know, if they want to run an event or two or game or two, that's fine. But we're not going to be like, hey, come run a special event here or something like that. That's not going to happen. We're going to lean more into the more indie aspects of the game because lots of really random stuff has come out of of past for the cons. I mean, Scooby Thulu was a thing. Fear the Earthshaker was a thing. I mean, it's just been this massive indie con for the last, you know, 10 years. Why mess with success? The other thing that I always consider to be kind of a quintessential Fear the Con kind of thing is kind of the family reunion aspect of it. Do you want to touch on that at all or... Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons why I wanted to continue doing the con in the first place is because Fear the Con is one of the only places that I get to see certain people, Jenny chief among them. Yep. Uh, it it really is one of those things. It's always been such a small con or it has felt like such a small because we had 180 people this last year. That's not small. I did not get to shake hands with every single person who walked through that door. With DrewCon, I did. Yeah, that's definitely verging into medium sized at least. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm not saying it's huge, but it's definitely not small anymore. But it is still that kind of family reunion, despite the fact that I didn't get to meet everybody and talk to everybody who was there. It still felt very much like this is the family reunion that you don't dread going to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also the family reunion that's happy to add new members. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not we're not elitist at all. We're happy to have more people come in and we'll welcome them with a, a beer and a handshake. Figurative beer and a literal handshake. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a literal beer. That's been nice. Yeah. <laughs> True. And that's that's one thing that we had to uh, unfortunately let go. This last con was uh, was beer. So and that's that's not coming back anytime soon, unfortunately, because of various things. Uh, we, we looked at the amount of money that was being sunk into liability insurance as a result of the beer, and it was it was significant. So, yeah, so we're, we're, we're running this via crowdfunding. So we want to try to keep the numbers down as much as we possibly can. So we don't have to rely on, you know, a select few people who make a ridiculous amount of money to fund this con, which is how Fear the Con worked for its first seven years. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. uh, the hosts put up most of the money. Ticket sales did not come close to covering what they put into it. Uh, last year, we ran at a loss, too. Not a significant loss and not nearly as significant as had been before. But you'll you'll notice those of you who paid into the Kickstarter last year, you'll notice this year the uh, the Kickstarter will be a slightly larger. And that that is simply there to kind of defray the costs that the organizers themselves kicked in. I'm uh, I'm dirt poor, so I did not actually run at any loss. But both Derek and Bob put in more than their fair share of, uh, of financial backing. So, And I guess that is a conversation that's worth having. Is the financial success a metric that you guys use when you're looking at, you know, are we going to do this again? Obviously, in this case, it's like, you know, can we afford to do it again? But is this like, okay, we're trying to make X amount of money off the con. Is that a metric? Are there other metrics you're using for measuring success? The metric we used this year for success was number of attendees. That okay. was really the sticking point for us this this last year. Now, you know, how much money we ourselves have to put into the con is definitely a factor. And it's not because we don't want the con to happen. It's because we're not wealthy people. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there's the practical consideration yeah. of can we get this actually off the ground? I, I totally yeah, get that. Is, is this the sort of thing that we can do without having to sacrifice our ability to do things like, you know, eat and keep the furnace on in Minnesota. Which is an incredibly important thing for more than half the year. What it comes down to, particularly this year, the metric of success we're looking at is, can we increase the number of attendees that we have? Which if we get, I'm shooting, me personally, I'm shooting for 250. If we can get 250 people to show up, I will be the most happy organizer you will have ever met. I will be exhausted, but I'll be happy. Okay. (laughs) But the other metric that we're looking at is, can we get this con so that it is self-sustaining? The ultimate goal here is with Three the Con for us. And, you know, if we wind up handing the reins either back to the uh, hosts who are more than at this point, like now that they've had a break, they're at this point willing to take over again. But, you know, since we're willing to run it, they said they said, OK, <laughs> right. But we want to hand if we do hand the con back to these guys, which I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, right now we're all pretty committed to doing it at least this year and probably the year following. But we want to hand them back a self-sustaining convention, a convention that 
is for the the fear of the con crowd paid for by the fear of the con crowd so that you know when we hand the reins back that no money comes out of our pockets or whoever takes over his pockets and that we have a, a not only a self-sustaining con but a con that is ultimately growing into a larger community okay i've got a few more questions for you lay them on me i'm ready first of all when you did DrewCon, as opposed to Fear the Con, which is in a different venue, right? Fear the Con 8 was at a, a convention center, kind of a public rental area. It's this a community center, but yes. Community center. Yeah, there we go. And then this one obviously is in a hotel, Yep. different venue. Were you looking at accessibility as one of the things that you were trying to take care of? Because that's a conversation I hear a lot about conventions, especially recently. Yes, that definitely was. We were when we were sitting down to figure this out, we basically said, look, let's there's no reason why we can't do this. And there's no reason why we can't do this at a hotel. We knew that we weren't with DrewCon in particular. We knew we weren't going to get the same numbers that that Fear the Con 8 had. Right. We were looking at it in the terms of what can we get but still be able to grow into. Mm -hmm. So we switched to the Brentwood Drury. Brentwood is a suburb of St. Louis. And the idea being that we have the hotel where people are staying be the same venue as where the con itself is happening. And they right, have right. a bunch of meeting rooms and a bunch of, of those sorts of things. It is their business center. It's closer to the airport. It is their flagship hotel in St. Louis. So it is it is literally the largest jury in St. Louis. It's also probably the nicest jury in St. Louis, which works out because it's also the newest. But Ultimately, what we were looking at was we wanted accessibility. We wanted to make it super easy for if you had a half an hour gap or a 45 minute gap between games that you could go up to your room and take a nap. Yeah. And that was actually really nice this year to have that capability. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. And, yeah. And I was actually talking about um, in terms of, say, uh, you know, somebody in a wheelchair or something like that. Oh, uh, well, but, yeah. you know, certainly I think that factors in. That was that was also a thing. Like the jury itself, there is some up and down. There is an upper and a lower ballroom. But I gotta say, this year in particular, their uh, elevators were really flipping fast. So mm -hmm. we got up and down quite a bit uh, without a problem. So in terms of like wheelchair, wheelchair accessibility or handicap accessibility in general, the jury was definitely uh, a positive consideration. It made it so much easier. And then, I mean, looking at it from a point of view of well, and the aisles are cavernous in that place. The hallways are huge. <laughs> yeah, right. You you could do a wheelchair race through that building and still have space for people to walk around one of the mm -hmm. things that sold me on, on it is that i could pull a full-on julia andrews down the hallway and sing the sound of music at the top of my lungs without touching my fingers to the walls yeah <laughs> that's impressive not to say whether or not i did this but i super did this right no, I mean, obviously and, and here's a, I guess, kind of my last question for you. When you're setting up a con, did you design a code of conduct? And I'm kind of pulling from conversations that I've seen people have about conventions. Codes of conduct have been a big thing in the public conversation about gaming and nerd cons for a little while now. Yeah. Fear the Con, I don't remember there being one necessarily other than the general please don't be awful yeah. rules, but sometimes you have to be specific. And I know some organizations, uh, specifically Contessa, will not show up at conventions that do not have codes of conduct and harassment policies right. and stuff like that. With Fear the Con, it's been a little bit different. And the reason why it's been a little bit different is that because of the podcast and the forum community that built up around the podcast... Dan Repertor set down a very specific and a very erudite set of rules based around the forum behavior, their code of conduct. And those sets of rules have carried over into how you behave at Fear the Con. So there really hasn't been a terrible need to set specific code of conduct guidelines for Fear the Con. Now, going forward, there is every possibility and I should probably even say probability that we are going to need to do this, particularly if we're looking to to grow the con. But ultimately, what it's come down to is there's a level of accountability that happens at Fear the Con. And this goes back to this being like walking into a family reunion. Everybody there is not a separate entity. Everybody there is part of a greater community. So everybody there is willing to hold other people accountable for their bad behavior. Which means that if you do some of the stuff that makes up some of the horror stories I've heard, five or six people from the community will probably help you into the trunk of your own car. <laughs> Not to put too yeah. fine a point on it, but... <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and there's there's some shenanigans that I, I probably should not talk about 
publicly that have happened in the past. But part of that solution at one particular con was both me and Bob acting as bouncers. Both Bob and I have had bouncing experience. I used to work in clubs as a bouncer. I'm six foot one and 280 pounds and kind of a terrifying individual if I decide to be. And Bob is very good at distracting and keeping people talking and keeping people engaged without them throwing a punch at his face. So to some degree, that being part of the fear the con thing, like if, you know, I'm a really nice guy and I'm incredibly approachable. But if I have to put on the bouncer hat, I will. And I can be a terrifying human being when that happens. And nobody wants to see that. Nobody in the community wants to see that. Nobody wants to see me have to get to that point. So I think everybody, to some degree, is going to hold not only themselves accountable, but everybody else accountable. So we don't have to deal with this stuff. And last year, everything that we had to deal with had nothing to do with the people who showed up. There was some shenanigans with some other guests at the hotel that the hotel had to deal with but had nothing to do with the fear the con attendees. And that is part of the reason why the jury is so keen on having us back over and over and over again. Like the, the woman, our contact at the jury afterward uh, shot us an email and said, so what can we, when we can we get you guys on the books for next year? That's a good that's sign. That's a good sign. Yeah. That's, that's a very good sign. Absolutely. Yeah, um, to put the previous jokes aside for a moment here, one of the things that I think probably does work in the specific case of the Fear the Boot community is because it's such a community instead of a collection of individuals coming, even if somebody shows up and isn't part of that and kind of is the sort of person who might cause trouble normally, the atmosphere just doesn't leave any room for it. It kind of sucks the air out of those impulses. Everybody is kind of friendly and respectful and watches each other's boundaries and knows each other and stuff. So there's no room to get away with shady stuff among the attendees, or at least there's considerably less than there would be at like a Gen Con, for instance, where you're mm -hmm. an anonymous face in a crowd. Correct. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are so small. But I, I agree with you that the, the mentality and just the general energy of the con is vastly different than almost any. No, I can honestly say it is vastly different than any other convention that I have ever attended because of that, that sense of community. Even if you're not part of the community, well, the first time I showed up was Fear the Con 4 and I was nervous. Like I'm, I'm an extrovert and I like going into new situations, but I was a little worried about stepping into the situation where people had already gone to three other conventions. And this was, you know, I was worried about stepping into the room and would I know anybody and would I be able to connect with anybody and da, 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 da. I also suffered from some elements of anxiety. So that was part of it too. But having done that and then walking in the room and then like uh, Zeke Copper Eyes, Christian Clemen and I really hit it off. And he and I have been close friends ever since. Like he and I, every time I'm down in Indianapolis for whatever reason where he's from, we hang out. And Gen Con, we do uh, the Thursday morning, we watch the, uh, the, the crazy people walk into the vendor hall for the first time as just this en masse crush sea of people going in. Like this is a thing that we do. And there are just all of these other friendships or whatever that I've developed just from having walked in. And I didn't do anything. I just signed up to run and play games. And I now have these lifelong friendships that I'm very pleased to have. Yeah, Christian really seems to have a heart for anybody who's kind of new and uncertain. Mm -hmm. Because the first mm -hmm. time I showed up was Fear the Con 3, and he like in Christian's kind of low-key, gentle sort of way, just kind of attached himself to me. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like, just checked in every once in a while to see how I was doing and stuff like that. And it was just, he's a wonderful human being. Well, I, I have nothing yeah. negative to say about him at all. He's, he's, he's one fantastic. of the original talk to I mean, he's he's one of the reasons why, you know, they used to do Fear the Boot events at other cons. And he was one of the contact points to do so. And him and a few other folks. Yeah, because we're going to have to bleep that. I'm going to do the whole spiel. Uh, the official Fear the Boot communications hub. Yes, which abbreviates somewhat, yeah. unfortunately, from our perspective and probably hilariously on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, basically a network of people who would share information and keep people up to date on like what's going on at a particular con. Hey, this is available here. So on and so forth. You know, we're meeting up here, that sort of thing. I think that mm -hmm. particular core of people is one of the reasons why the culture is so healthy, by the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's that's also part of the promotion aspect, isn't it? Because you have people who have volunteered their time to keep people up to date on a second by second basis. Yeah. So you've already got a literal hub of people 
promoting individual events that are going on in that particular area of the convention. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that is super, super helpful in the actual planning process. One of the things that we're, we're really trying to push this year is is more local involvement, because while it's great that we have a bunch of people that come from all over the country and in some cases all over the world, we really don't have a lot in the way of local support. And I don't mean that in mm-hmm. financially, I mean that in the sense of people showing up and, and participating. So one of the things that we're really trying to push this year, and we have a couple of folks uh, who are, who are going to help us out, Brodor being one of them, and Zach, I can never pronounce, is it Lorton? Yes. You'll have yeah, to forgive yeah. me. I, I can't. <laughs> I've only ever seen his name written, so I've never pronounced it. But anyway, so they volunteered to do a lot of the legwork, to go to local gaming stores and talk to the not just the people there, but the actual ownership of the store and say, hey, this is a convention that happens here every year. If you want to get involved, then these are the people to talk to. And and so on and so forth. So we're really going to try to push getting more local involvement and making that a bigger thing than it has been in the past. So because despite the fact that Fear the Boot is a St. Louis based podcast, they don't have a lot of connections in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's funny, but I'm not Dan Repperger, so I don't know. There's not much I can do. With that. <laughs> yeah. OK, so one thing that I want to ask is you said that there's not a whole lot of time for you to game when you're running one of these things. And I believe you, but I'm having a hard time picturing, like, once everybody has shown up, once the events are underway, things are firing and stuff, what does keep you busy during the con while that's going on? <laughs> what what exactly do you have to... Because I, I know there's lots of stuff, I just don't know what it is. Well, to be fair, as we mentioned earlier, like, there was that point where you were playing Magic in the con suite... And I was sitting there chatting with Pat and we all had a conversation and it was great. I was there for probably about two hours, you know, so technically speaking, I probably would have had time to game in that time. But I decided to take the time to sit in the con suite, to hang out with Pat, because I hadn't really connected with him at all since the year before, despite the fact that, you know, I mean, I've talked with him a little bit, but we hadn't really caught up or anything like that. So and Chris Hussey was there and it was. Yeah, right. It was a great room to be in for that time frame. So technically speaking, I did have time to game in that time frame i just didn't take it but little things that happened uh were because both bob and derek were running specific games for a purpose not just for funsies it kind of fell to me to be the on-site troubleshooter so oftentimes i would get a call adam so-and-so needs a power cord can we get one from the front desk so i would have to run down to the front desk see if i can get a power cord if they don't have a power cord see if i can scrounge up another power cord that sort of thing so just incidental things that that was really what fell on me so that bob and derek could because that was one of the things we actually had an issue with this year is we ran out of gms like if you looked at con planner right before the con every game was darn near full yeah So Bob jumped in and ran a bunch of games. Derek jumped in and ran ran a bunch of games. I decided against that because I knew we would at least have to have one coordinator that was doing what I did. So, yeah, I mean, so it was just it was tantamount to doing just a bunch of really little kind of sundry things, but things that you don't necessarily think of in the moment. So you basically just need somebody who's kind of free to deal with whatever happens to come up. Exactly, exactly. And this year we've we've planned for that contingency as well. Uh, it will not be me this year. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It'll be somebody a much angrier in Sergeant Dan. Ooh. Oh dear. Excellent. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that sounds marvelous. All right. Last yeah. question, and then I think we ought to probably wrap this one up. Sure. If somebody listens to this episode and says, "This sounds great. I want to start my own con." What's your advice to them? Other than don't, I know that's the traditional answer. (laughs) Seriously, if they want to do it and they think they can, what's your advice for them? Uh, Okay, all joking aside, and I wouldn't honestly say don't because it actually has been a very gratifying experience for me. Frustrating at times, but gratifying. And there there is a learning curve. Any advice I can give, uh, first and foremost, befriend Bob Ahrens and Derek Knudsen. Right. (laughs) Um, No, what, what you need to really to really do a con is you need a good support structure no one person can do something like this on their own planning a con and beth roper has been known to say this planning for the con is like planning a wedding every single year 
you know, that's, that's one of those things that most people only do maybe once in their lifetime. So if you go at it with that mentality, thinking about it, that level, there's going to be that level of logistics and that level of detail that you have to put into a, a convention like this. And probably that level of expense too, realistically. Realistically, I mean, last year we mm-hmm. ran it at significantly less than you could you would normally do an average wedding. I think an average wedding in the United States costs between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars, and we ran the con last year at about just shy of ten, so a little bit less than that. But like traditionally in the past, Fear the Con has cost close to that. So if you go at it with the mentality of there's going to be a ridiculous amount of planning, a ridiculous amount of logistics that you have to acknowledge. And you surround yourself with the kinds of people that complement your own skill set rather than people who will just throw wrenches in the works and that sort of thing. You'll be well on your way to planning a decent con. Okay. And that's probably the best advice I can give you. The other one is uh, when you decide to do it, don't decide to do it when you are drunk or any other way (laughs) altered and you're probably in good shape. (laughs) Okay. So no sleep deprivation, for instance, no con crud. (laughs) Yeah, no con crud. Like you you don't come home from Gen Con and be suffering from the traditional Gen Con con crud and go, man, I really should do a con. You will regret it. All right. Well, Adam, thanks for joining us. This has been really fascinating. It's good to hear some behind the scenes stuff and some good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just good to talk to yes. you, too. We absolutely. Don't no, get the chance. So it has been absolutely great chatting with you guys. I love being on podcasts and coming on shows and all that stuff. And talking with you guys just makes me happy. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, the feeling is mutual. It's always really good to talk to you. Yeah, it is. We, we don't get to talk nearly often enough. Nearly and it's often been very, enough. very good. I agree. Yeah. All right. If people want to find out more about Fear the Cons, especially Fear the Con 2018, or if, you know, if you're willing, if you want to answer questions on social media or something like that for people interested in their own cons, how can they get in touch with you and how can they find out more about Fear the Con 2018? Absolutely. For right now, as of when this episode will drop, which I'm not 100% sure what that's going to be, but there will not be a Facebook page and there will not be a website right away. There will be in the very short term here, but we are completely retooling the website. We're completely retooling the Facebook page in the next like month or so. But if you have questions, if you want to know more, we do have a Gmail account. It is fearthecon-rebooted at gmail.com. Great. And of course, once that stuff does go live, I know that will be fearthecon.com. Correct. It'll be fearthecon.com and it'll be, if you just search Fear the Con and find the page on Facebook, you'll find it there. We also have a Twitter account, which will be changing over here pretty soon too. Okay. Very cool. Well, thank you again for joining us. I appreciate you sticking around and talk with us a little longer than, you know, maybe we'd planned, but it, I think, turned out really helpful. Mm-hmm. Anybody else got anything before we wrap up? No. I think I'm good. No, that's it. Cool. Well, then from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.